Welcome back to Her Hustle with your hosts, Chloe and Mimi. We interview successful female and non-binary entrepreneurs about their businesses and how they got from college to where they are today. Whether you have a side hustle or want to own your own company, if you have an entrepreneurial spirit and are eager to learn, this podcast is for you. Let's get going. So welcome Katrina Fry, the founder of Mischief Managed, which is an LA-based business development company for artists of all mediums. Acting as an arts management consultant for individuals, as well as nonprofit and creative corporations, Katrina believes in democratizing the tools that artists need to succeed in the entertainment industry. Since graduating with degrees in visual arts and management and having gained qualifications in photography and music publishing, she is way more than a triple threat performer, everyone. Katrina has worked in a variety of arts and education related organizations. And through Mischief Managed, her speaking engagements and university lectures, she supports artists to share their life's work with the world. And though she shows a very clear passion for Harry Potter with her company name, and I could talk about that for hours, we're really excited today to learn from Katrina's educational and entrepreneurial mindset. Katrina, thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so, so happy to make this internet appearance. All right, Katrina, well, we would love to start with the beginning of your story. Can you tell us a little bit about what sparked your interest in the arts and what made you pursue visual arts in college? Yeah, great question. It actually started a little bit earlier. It was my senior year of high school. And of course, I hated high school. (laughs) I just did not feel like I belonged. So my mom was really kind and was asking what she could do. How can, you know, basically before I just checked out, didn't graduate. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We happened to live by a really incredible community college called Cuesta College. And she said, okay, why don't you just enroll in some college classes? We'll just see what happens. And I enrolled in film photography and I had an incredible instructor and I have just never looked back. You know, she did not care about my age, my lack of experience, my lack of language. You know, I didn't know anything coming into the arts. And she just gave me a place to really voice an opinion. And I think I had just never felt that space you know, it's 17 years of living where someone asked, why does this matter? What does it make you feel? And use words to tell other people. And I said, oh, I guess. Okay, okay, okay. Let me be more, let me figure out what this world is. And so from there, I knew I wanted to study film photography. I just felt like I could be that voyeuristic introvert that I was, but still had like this social aspect to it, you know, where I was like with people, but I was spying on them, but I was capturing them, but I was curating it. But you know, so it was all those things that I loved wrapped into one. And so I studied film photography for a four year degree at Point Loma in San Diego, super small private college where you really know everyone. um, But people are still very siloed. And I was okay with that because I loved the weirdos in the art department. I was like, Oh, good, we can just stay here. Like we don't have to branch out. Good, good, good. (laughs) So I really loved it. Um, But what turned for me was realizing how you can't stay in the art department. You know, like to get my art scene, I had to go to art events or I needed to branch out to the student government to have a showcase, you know. So I ended up realizing that collaboration was also 
integral to the arts. And that's what really lit my fire was when everything was able to come together in a synergy way. And I was like, oh, this is the arts. Okay, this is what I want to be a part of. So that was kind of the four to five year mold of figuring out this was my people and my my tribe. That's awesome. Um, I did theater in high school. And so I get what you mean about wanting to be our own theater people. But then you know that you have to rely on other departments to really bring something to life. Exactly. So I visited Mischief Managed during a college networking trek, which was awesome. I remember you were a great host. There were lots of donuts. We all talked about that. <laughs> crucial. That's crucial. And you brought so much energy and passion when you spoke about your company. So for all of us here, why did you found Mischief Managed and and what are you solving? Great question. I'm so happy that I got to host. Um, you know, actually, what's wild is going back to that original arts degree is that I met Darren Roberts. He was branching into art department, and then we ended up doing student government together in our undergrad. And he, oh. yeah, he's been one of my longest friends now. Um, shout out to D Money. And now he works with you guys at Claremont. So he has been watching me slowly unravel and piece together this business and figure out what it's about. And then that's why he invited you all to come um, because I'm still in process. And I think that that's really attractive for someone in college is to see someone that who's hustling but hasn't figured it out. So that's me. Welcome. Uh, nice to meet you. <laughs> um, but no shame at it, you know, at all. I, I understand I'm only in my 30s. I still have a lot to figure out and try and err at. But the beginning workings of mischief was because I got laid off, I think, which is a lot of entrepreneurial stories, either getting fired or laid off. Um, I got laid off from an incredible job where I thought I was going to change the world. And it was the title. It was the prestige, the reputation. It was all the things. And I had pretty, pretty much worked myself out of the job, you know, because I had presented a new plan for the company and they realized, oh, she gave these the goods and we're going to take it and run, right? So, which is super smart business on their part, you know, as a startup. I think it was a huge turning point for me. I took my severance money and went to Europe for two weeks, like anyone should. <laughs> <laughs> but I really realized there, oh yeah, this is why I began in the arts, actually bringing together art and business in Paris when I was there. I studied abroad when I was an undergrad and I was so overcome with how artists were treated in the economy to stabilize and further and progress the French government. I had never seen anything like it. And that's really what drew back the curtain for me to see how many people are employed, how many people are funded, you know, to see the inner workings when I was in France. That's what I came back to America with years ago. And so when I got to travel out there after I got laid off, I was like, oh, yeah, 18-year-old Katrina was here and there's something, there's something special here. And so I took that back. I knew I wanted to figure out this unveiling, this pulling back. When you go to the Met, and you get to experience beautiful art, you have no idea that there's 3,000 people behind the wall. Like literally behind that thick wall are people working. I was like, okay, okay, okay. So how do I keep talking about this? So I brought it up with a friend and I was telling her, you know, like, I just can't believe I got laid off. I can't believe that I've worked for another boss who didn't see my potential. And she's like, you know, you're just bossy. Why do you feel like that's a bad thing? Okay. This is like a feminist conversation. All right, let me put that hat on, you know? And she was like, if you're that bossy, if you're getting this much feedback about how you run things, just run something. And I was like, okay, 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 got it. So I put together these conversations. And what I started to do was um, meet with friends first. Those were my first clients. I charged them, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, something that I thought was like of value 
to start meeting with them as artists and creatives and say, there's skills I have, what could I do for you if you were just to name something? For instance, I had a friend who was, you know, this is four years ago now, and he was trying to get into um, a PhD program. And he was like, can you help me get a portfolio together? I was like, oh yeah, I know how to do that. I know how to organize. I know how to market yourself. I know how to contextualize, give meeting, tell a good story. Okay, and visuals. Yeah, great. And then I had another friend come to me and say, you know, I have these self-published books, but I'm not sure how to tour them. So it kind of started accidental a little bit. You know, I just started to put myself out there and really didn't narrow in on what I was offering. And I knew I just needed to charge something. So that's the, my biggest uh, word of advice on that. Like when you start, just make sure you charge something. Because when you start free, it's always free, right? Right. So I just it's started hard. to charge... Yes, very. It's very. It's one of my best things I did. Like past Katrina's tells future Katrina. You know, like I'm like, <laughs> yeah. That was really the beginning, and then from there it was like a year of shaking the trees of figuring out what is this. And finally, what I realized is that I love business. I have my master's in arts management from Claremont graduate. I love the arts. And I love the people who create. And there's some conversation in the middle that's not happening that I want to push forward. And that's what keeps happening, whether it's through a couple different mediums of like talking about yourself, telling your story, packaging yourself, branding yourself. I realized all of it is this big crux in the middle that artists um, don't get taught in school. From your website, um, you have the quote there that you're bridging the gap between being an artist and an entrepreneur. So can you talk a little bit about what that means in the context of Mischief Managed? Yes. So I did some research on entrepreneurship and, you know, definitions or you know, what the talk of the town is right now. And, you know, cause it's a very hot topic. So I was like, mm, okay, like, you know, artists don't consider themselves entrepreneurs. They just don't. Right. Um, I would say a lot of artists don't consider themselves business people or business owners as well. So I wanted to kind of take myself out of that brain for a while. And I did, you know, a few months of research on just why that was. And I realized with a lot of the entrepreneurship language, it all just felt impersonal mm -hmm. and transactional but at the heart of it an entrepreneur is simply someone who sees a problem and knows the solution and shares a solution that's it and when I could finally like cut that all out and get to the core I realized this is what I was trained to do in art school you know like you look at a blank canvas your problem and you realize I have this unique skill set to solve it express it and share it in my specific way that tells my best narrative I had to figure out you know so now I've been really trying to stru structure up to really tell artists like it's okay if we use these words not only is it okay but we're actually the original entrepreneurs and right um, let yeah and let that sink in and so a lot of it has been language barrier, you know, and figuring out how to make it personal, how to make it us as creators and artists and feel like we're not selling out or giving in or losing part of ourselves or our soul. I've been trying to really find new language and new ways to package entrepreneurship for artists. So cool. I think it's awesome to hear in the beginning when you were laid off, how you overcame that obstacle. You went outside of yourself, went to a new country um, and recentered around your values and your past in a way. That's such a cool story and path. <laughs> Can you talk now about how you've grown and the types of things you do to help artists today? Yes. So what I was realizing when I first started um, meeting with friends and just kind of offering one-off services is that I was doing a lot of band-aiding. You know, I would, they would, they would come and say, 
okay, can you help me with this quick portfolio, this quick website update, this quick, you know, talk I'm going to give. I'm not sure how to talk about myself as an artist. And I would just do quick things, you know, again, like 50, 100 bucks. I wasn't sure really the value or how to monetize or scale because I was just offering band-aids. And that was interesting. That was cool. But then I, I really felt a, a part of me missing, especially when it comes into play of my education and my experience. I was like, man, I'm, I'm really not offering what I could truly offer artists. So what I did was go back to the table and really actually I had like a personal retreat by myself which when you're a freelancer you are it you know you're you're the creative director the COO and the CFO and so you know I sat at the table and really sat down what I wanted to be known for and I think that that question again it's something I look at every year I'm actually right now it's about to be my four-year anniversary um next month congratulations yeah (laughs) but every year you're shaken to your core because you're like okay have I done it is this still what I want to be known for and it's really scary and uh vulnerable to ask it every time but at the time when I started this company I knew I wanted to be known for solving problems in artist space that was uncomfortable and where no one else felt adequate. And I think I use that word really um, specifically because a lot of artists feel so intimidated and inadequate when it comes to business, taxes, finances, contracting, branding, marketing. They all feel like big words that it belonged to someone else. And I think um, I just wanted to reclaim that and re-educate. So that's really what I had to figure out how to package. So I came through offering a one-year service and where artists were charged monthly, almost like a subscription at a base rate. And they were offered something project-based. So they had to come in saying, look, at I have, um, I have a, a book contract on the table. I'm not sure how to get an audience, but I am an author, right? And then not only do I need an audience, credibility, story, but then I want to go on tour. Okay. Great. So they would come in with a project specifically like that. And then we would really curtail our services around how to offer that. Um, But no matter what, every artist was leaving with a press kit, a one sheet, a brand package, um, and really that social confidence for online and offline presence. Okay, that's so great to hear because you kind of laid it out in somewhat logical steps. And I get what you mean about people feeling as though they're not qualified to be like a CFO, as well as being an artist themselves. Like Mischief Managed, I guess you could say, started out as a project and then grew into a full business and so what advice do you have for people who are maybe too afraid to take that first step and start that project that's a great question I would say 100% just start you don't need to be legitimate to start something and I think especially as women and you know I would love to just tell you to you know Mimi Chloe don't wait for anybody you know, like I see you doing that with this podcast. It's huge. No one no one is going to come and knock at your door and be like, you know what? You would be perfect for this podcast. I really see this being a leverage point for you later on in your career, <laughs> five, five to seven years specifically. <laughs> you know, no, that's not going to happen. So it has to be you. And I know it's that bootstraps American like idealism in me, but there's something to that. Right. You know, like Warren Buffett knew about it you know like it's okay there are bootstraps that ours might have high heels at the bottom but (laughs) damn it we're like putting them on and getting out there so 
for me, it's really just stop waiting for that legitimacy. Stop waiting for someone to validate you. Just start creating. And this, when I'm talking about all this, I think what gets in our way the most right now is social media. People come on there so buttoned up, so curated, you know, like just look like they already know who they are. And that is false. It's false. It's curated. It's manicured. It's it's not reality. And I've met so many people out of Instagram who look great and present well, who cannot formulate a deep thought, who cannot mm. tell me why they are here. What are they creating? Who are they creating it for? What do they want to be known for? And if you can't answer that, those are the four questions I teach in every single workshop, webinar, everything. And if you can't answer that, okay, like keep wasting your time. But guess what? I'm going to see you in two years and you're going to look exactly the same. You know, you're not going to progress and move forward with the rest of us. And so as a creator, I feel like this is my call, you know, like to really push this out of us. Um, so my advice, just just start. Just start, just start, just start. It doesn't need to be buttoned up, you know, just get just get going. Yeah, you know, it's really great to hear you talk about social media as well. I feel like it can be very intimidating when you have an idea or you want to start something and you go onto social media and you see all these people, these perfect cookie cutter people who seem to be doing it well and effortlessly when in reality of course that's not true it's hard yeah it's no. definitely hard even with the podcast Mimi and I had this idea and we would go onto social media and just see tons and tons of other people doing that and I know it's definitely the same in the talent industry like if you're a singer and you go online and there are just thousands of great singers like that must be difficult from a confidence perspective to feel that you can assert yourself in that um sphere so i yes. feel like a lot of this is about confidence and just giving these artists the confidence that they deserve to go out and do something yes and i think what i love about business is that competition is crucial and i think in artists practice we work in a vacuum. We shut our door, we go into our studios, we turn off everything and we create. And then all of a sudden, when we open the door again, we realize, oh, there's like six people doing this already. But I think we forget that competition is actually wonderful. Like it's a driver. And I think Regina Hall said it, um, is that there's enough sunshine for everybody. I, I just think when, you know, when you go outside and the sun is shining on you, it's also going to shine on you, Mimi, and it's also going to shine on you, Chloe. And I have to just rest assured that we're all getting enough for everyone to grow, you know, and I think when it's viewed like that, then, oh, okay, cool. I'm going to keep hustling then, you know, I'm going to keep going. So, um, yeah, competition is not the enemy here. I don't think, and I think social media just has to be viewed with that that renewed perspective instead of the daunting weight that it can be. Kind of related to that, um, I know many industries operate in this way, but we've also heard that the entertainment world is all about who you know. <laughs> and I'm wondering, like, is this a myth? How can hopeful artists start to gain valuable connections with the right people? What does it look like? Yes, it is 100% who you know. Rich is death defying, right? When you're young, when you are a female, when you're a female of color. So you know, these are my three strikes that I feel like I had against me going into mm -hmm. the arts and entertainment, specifically the entertainment industry. Can I make friends with every white dude I've ever met? Um, you know, like I was going through a lot of scenarios like, can I hang? Do I can I talk about bourbon and cigars and golf? I, I guess so. And 
I just had to let that go and realize I'm in the room because of who I am. And this is me. This is all of me. And I have to bring my whole self to the table. Even if I'm the token person here, even if they don't understand me, I have to just be me because that's, that's first of all, what the artist or the client has hired me to be and represent for them. And usually I'm the voice in the room to represent them because they also are usually young female person of color. So it's on me to even more represent my truest self because I'm leading the way for someone not in the room usually and when it comes to my arts and entertainment experiences but yes it's all who you know (laughs) and um I've had a huge advantage being married to a successful white male who makes generous amounts of space for me to be in the room. I've managed his career for better or for worse, you know, for a long time. And that was accidental, you know, just dating. And you're like, you need to file this paperwork. You need to open this bank account. You need to pay these people on time, you know, bossing again. (laughs) Okay. Um, And realizing, oh, this is a whole job, you know, so loving that and really figuring out that I had enough skills to branch that out and use those qualifications to get me in the room. And I think a lot of times, once you meet the people you meet, you do think, oh man, I'm only in this room because of this. And you think that it's a crutch, but it's actually your greatest strength. Now that I'm here, what do I want to say? So just being okay with however, you know, however that space is. I think I heard a really cool female DJ speak about how She's one of the only female uh, DJs that's gotten a Grammy nomination and um, still hasn't won an award. Still a female has not won a DJ award um, to date. And this is 2020. Just want to mark it down. Yeah. Okay. So um, there's only 4% of female producers in the top charts. I mean, it's it's bleak. Only like, I think we own less than 20% of the top charts in, in music specifically. Wow. So you might see a female face, but are we the owner? Are we getting those monies? Probably not. It's been a long trek um, of slowly chipping away and realizing even that female DJ, she was saying at her stature. So I'm thinking, okay, like she's she's gotten there. She's got there. No, she said there is like a whole social media presence dedicated to faulting her and saying that she's only arrived because she got there collaborating with her boyfriend, who's also a larger DJ. At some point, she has to just give up to that. Like, there's no reason to fight it. No matter how she got in the room, she's in the room. And now it's up to her to prove her quality and and her expertise and, and her, you know, her skill. And I think she has. Yeah, it's definitely who you know. I don't know if I have cracked the code on that other than it's extremely extremely true the only other thing i can tell you about it is that living in los angeles is the smallest big city you will ever live in and because it is who you know you cannot afford to burn any bridge you can't rain on people you can't you always have to give people the benefit of the doubt unless they have crossed the line and that's the way the cookie is crumbled <laughs> for me in LA. You know, it's it's such a small town. I can't tell you how many bad bosses I've had where I still need recommendations from them today. So that's all part of the industry is really making sure like, okay, this didn't go great. I'm going to end well. I'm going to make sure my side of the street is clean. 
and I wish them the best. Awesome. Um, can you dive in a little bit more into what it's been like to be a female founder specifically, how you develop that sense of courage and confidence to be able to represent who you are as a founder when I know that there are obstacles and challenges that come along with it? Yeah, I would say it's really lonely. I think that's probably the hardest part. And I don't know if that's specific to being a female founder. Obviously, this is all I know. It's really tough to get yourself out of that cycle where you're like, I am doing what I'm no, I'm doing I'm this is good. No, I, I think I think people want me. Oh, no. Okay. Really hard to get out of that vicious cycle uh, spinning because you're you are alone. So I have tried to make sure there's enough people around me, especially other women of color hustling. Um, I can tell you three people right now that I call every time. I talk to them at least once a week. It doesn't have to be business, but I always check in. Oh, how are you doing that? And then I always stay curious about their business. One's in the tech space, one's in the communication space. So they're not doing what I'm doing. So I don't feel like we'd ever eat each other's business. To me, it's a friendship first. Um, We've all worked together in some kind of way, but I extremely respect them. I respect their opinions, but I've asked so many questions about their business. I've looked at their business proposals so many times. I've looked at how they invoice, what they're charging. Okay, cool. Oh, so you would charge this? Oh, interesting. Awesome. That's that, you know, oh, your contracts are too short. Oh, mine are too long. Okay, like, fig- you know, so really, that's really been the, the renewing grace yes. about this whole thing is like, okay, like, we're all faking it. Yeah. Right. Okay. There's that. We know more than we think we know. Talking to other women of color, especially for me, has just been refreshing. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. Okay. You look good. Like, you look good. People think you have it going on. So I must be all right. <laughs> and making sure you just have those people on speed dial. Chloe, you're on my. As you were saying that, I was thinking about it. I was like, in the future, Mimi is going to be the first person on my list. She's already the one helping me with resumes and everything. So, yes. And all that stuff adds up because then they get to know you more I, I have a friend right now that i sent her something and she's like you didn't even talk about this other event that you did and i was like oh, how did you know i did that keeping her tabs yes yes um katrina we also wanted because you have very tangible advice for things and so many of our listeners who want to start their own businesses a key question on their mind is how am i going to raise money And aside from like your consulting fee with Mischief Managed, have you looked into any external sources of funding or ways to support your business? Yes. So money. Mm -hmm. Capital. Yeah. This is my personal approach. I have, I don't like to be in debt. I have not taken out any loans or credit cards for this business yet. And I'm at year four. I'm really hoping to wait until year five or six because I do not feel like I have a proven product, what's called a proven product, right? Where I know this can scale and create this much income. That being said, it comes with a lot of sacrifices. So I still have a lot of side hustles that pay for my dream. And so, um, for instance, you know, I waitressed the first year I started Mischief. So I, ha- I got my master's degree. I got laid off, went to Europe, came back and waitressed for one whole year during the night so that I could take clients during the day. And it was so humbling and hard and frustrating. But I just knew I didn't want to be in debt. 
to start my company and I didn't know what this was. You know, I, I, st I still am like, you know, moving it to figure out, okay, is this like a real thing? Is this, you know, is there a market? So I'm really still sussing that out. And I just knew I didn't want to do it owing somebody money. For me, it's come with a lot of sacrifice. I have taken on a lot more corporate clients than I wanted. And they pay, they pay wonderfully and they pay to sustain all my individual clients who cannot afford to keep me in business. So I think what's tough in that is that a lot of my clients come in thinking, oh, you must have like a roster of like 40 artists so that you can do the numbers and make this all work. But you actually can't sustain 40 artists as one human. I did bring on some employees, but those employees were paid by my other larger for-profit companies that I was going in and consulting with. And so that became a time crunch because then I'm spending the majority of my time consulting for corporate clients, giving them business or event producing or arts industry consulting. And it would completely take away from my actual client base. So I'm still figuring out capital, to be honest. I really haven't figured out my equation yet. Um, yeah, ask me again in a year and maybe I'll have a new answer. But I have recommended to people that, you know, credit cards and loans are something manageable if that is something within your wheelhouse and expertise. For me, credit is like too much fun. I'm like, Woo let's do it. You know? <laughs> I know that about myself, so I don't touch it. Right. My word on the street is that it's okay to still be paying for the dream with something else. You really have to be a time cruncher. You really have to manage your time to figure that all out. But yeah, it just comes with a lot of sacrifice. Awesome. Thank you so much for being so honest about that. I think another, just from learning more about you through our conversation, looking at your background, education seems to be a really important part of your path. And I know you studied about music and entrepreneurship and whatnot in college, but now you're actually going on to teach about it and educate others about it. So I'd love if you could tell us a little bit more about what you learned in your master program and what you teach. Yeah, I loved getting my master's at Claremont Graduate University. It was under Laura Zucker, who is no longer teaching, and she's actually completely retired. Um, kudos to her. But when I started the program there, it looked a lot different than it does now. They really were letting you create your own degree, basically. So I was able to take like business law, business strategy, along with like nonprofit accounting, which there was just nothing like it at the time. I actually don't know what the program looks like at all now because I know Sotheby's bought it out and then it's it's gone through a lot of different renditions. Um but that was very attractive to me is that I could get such specific business approach along with my feet in the arts landscape and really learning how the arts economy worked specifically in Los Angeles. So that really unveiled for me how much money is available in the arts. And I think that's the biggest thing I learned from the master's program is that this starving artist thing is complete BS. You know, it's it. It just really is. There's money out there. There's a lot of wealthy people who want to support and sustain the arts. And it's really about figuring out the channels and the funnels and positioning yourself and maybe taking a hit to get this money, but then realizing that hit is going to get you into this room with this person so that you can make this money back in this way. So all those strategy ideas, I just, I loved, I loved it, loved it, loved it. From there, I really knew that I wanted to teach because, um, I love college students. I love them so much. I feel like your brain is finally connecting with your body where you're like, ah, 
yeah, I, I have a lot of stamina and I'm really strong and I can get stuff done and I have a brain that works and it's at full capacity. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get something done, you know? And I feel like, and it's right before you get jaded, you know, like right. you, you actually don't know how horrible it is out here yet. So <laughs> I love that college age so much. So I always knew I wanted to do something to give back or to be involved. I first actually didn't know how to get involved in teaching. So I actually volunteered myself at Pasadena City College. I got on the phone with the dean and just talked to him, told him what I did, what I'm about. And he was like, OK, cool. I don't think our department is interested, but I know someone who is. Got me connected with the entrepreneurship department there and I guess lectured like three or four times and she just let me in. Cool. It was so thrilling. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, cool. You know, like I want to be in this space. I'm going to figure it out and make it up as I go. And so I started talking around to a few other organizations and I partnered with CCI, which is the Center for Cultural Innovation in downtown LA. And I was able to teach the winter session at CalArts um, in arts entrepreneurship for them. And that really, again, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I love this. I can tell it's not being taught. So it really, really, really excited me to continue to refine what I'm teaching to not be too overwhelming, um, but also realize that these might be the the one and only times art students and creative students are getting tangible, practical skills for business. So then from there, I just started working with CBU, which is California Baptist University in Riverside. And I taught this last semester, spring semester, music entrepreneurship and music marketing. And that was just so much fun. So fun. Yeah, to have 20 students and just to actually dig in from the beginning to the end of, you know, I think the 14, 15 weeks and really unravel how much there is to know that you never thought you needed to know. I I thought the students just did a, such an incredible job. So yeah, it's something I'm definitely looking forward to and love. Awesome. Well, I wish I could be your student. <laughs> such a cool class. Great. Okay. We have one final question before we um, maybe leads us into our like fast round towards the end. But I just want to hear what's your dream goal for the company? Like if you could scale your organization to be this North Star experience of what you want, like what's your dream? My dream for Mischief Managed is that it's actually a space and it's a space for everyone post-college that studied in the arts that has no idea how to make a living. It would be a space to create and work, but also mostly to get educated and it would, you know, just really bridge that gap of intimidation where there's managers, there's agents, there's publishers, publicists, but there's really no one in between that's educating artists enough so that they can become independent on their own. And I I know that there is nothing like this out there. And so I am dying to figure out how to scale this and how to make myself the most available for artists where we're not locked into a 30-year contract. I don't take 15% of their royalties and their earnings. Right. I am here to teach you and educate you so that you do get 100% of the 100% money you should be making. Um, so that's the dream. Um, call me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Georgina, thank you so much. As Chloe uh, mentioned, we always like to end on three quick fire questions and we'll all answer them. So Katrina, Chloe, and then Mimi. So first one, who is your favorite Harry Potter character? Hermione, duh. Easy. I was also going to say Hermione. Um, love Neville, though, too. His character arc is great. Oh, cute. <laughs> so cute. 
Um, controversial, but I do like Draco. I knew you were going to say Draco. <laughs> we always love to answer controversially. <laughs> Someone has to love Draco. That's fine. But I consider myself half Ravenclaw, half Slytherin. So okay, okay, considered me too. <laughs> yeah, and I think if I were to be picked from the Sorting Hat, I would probably have to go to Hufflepuff because I am that weird. Okay, so second question. How do you warm up or get in the zone before a big event or a speaking performance or even like teaching in front of a classroom? I actually still to this day do the TED talk. I'm not even sure I'm going to misquote her name, but she talks about putting your hands above your head. And there's like, it's a great TED talk. She literally talks about go into the bathroom, wherever you are, put your hands above your head. And you can either do like a power pose. You know, I usually just like, do do a you guys can't see me on the podcast but I'm I'm putting my hands above my head and I'm doing a little bit of like the rock showing my muscles even nice. though there's no, there's no muscles right um but you get energy above circulating above your head I do that every single time I still get nervous when I talk I I am an introvert I dread people talking to me after an event <laughs> because I'm like that was all my energy and then like now there's more people um but i love it so i keep showing up and i keep talking to people and then i just i gotta get into it i i i will say yes to anything i say i i always try i always try something new um i do one awkward thing a month is what i ask myself to do and cool just constantly getting out there what's the last awkward thing you did well Actually, this is it. All right. (laughs) Yes, this podcast is it. Just saying, just saying yes. I mean, you saw my email. I immediately just said yes because I was like, oh, I do not like the sound of my voice and I don't know what I have to say, but I just said yes. So this is it. Thank you for doing it. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I love it. This has been so much fun. Okay, this may sound a little um, not normal, but when I'm gearing up to do something really big that intimidates me, I like to run through all of the worst case scenarios and talk myself into why they wouldn't be so bad. So if I would perform, I could be like, I have to like envision myself messing up and then tell myself why it's okay, even if that happens. I prepare myself for the worst and then normally that puts me in the right mindset to do my best. Something I do, and I do this a lot before exams, I just repeat, I'm alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. And then I just like repeat that over and over again and then get in the zone don't do my exam <laughs> that's good i love that good mantra okay and our last question what is your favorite quote or saying something that's been in quarantine for me is the realization that happiness is complicated and acceptance is key and i think that's really what i've been meditating on is i have to accept myself and i have to accept the messy happiness and that it comes with so many weird gray areas that are not in the movies so that's that's where i've been that's what i've been thinking about a lot that's beautiful and so applicable to what's going on right now i feel like i'm going to go write that in my journal and think about it so thank you for sharing <laughs> one thing that went around in the claremont colleges and i'm sure this happened elsewhere i don't know if you got it but was this email chain um, women uplifting women challenge where you and i mimi sent me some thing but basically you get sent a bunch of quotes and a name and then you send like a quote to the cool. person and it just creates a chain um, okay. 
of people sending uplifting quotes. And so this is one I got um, and I just thought it was really cool. So I wanted to share it with you guys. I wrote it down. Um, The quote is by someone named Cecil Beaton and it's be daring, be different, be impractical, be anything that will assert the integrity of purpose and imaginative vision against the play it safers, the creatures of the commonplace and the slaves of the ordinary. Mm, That's great. What do you got, Mimi? Mine is... Knowledge is power, but enthusiasm pulls the switch. I love that. I love that, Mimi. Says a lot about you. And I love that because I think people are so afraid to be enthusiastic nowadays. Yeah, I get what you mean. It's like uncool. You can never be uncool. I know. I know. Oh, awesome. This was just so much fun. It was such a joy to have you on the show today, Katrina. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so proud of you guys. I cannot wait to share this with all my lady friends out there hustling. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to our third episode of Her Hustle with Katrina Fry of Mischief Managed. Make sure to check them out on Instagram at Mischief Managed Arts and also follow us at herhustle.podcast. We'll see you next time.